Monday night, May 6th at the Hyatt Regency in San Francisco. You're invited to join athletes and celebs at the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame Enshrinement Dinner. Be there to celebrate this year's class featuring Olympic swimmer Jenny Thompson, San Jose Earthquakes legend Chris Wondolowski, Niners Super Bowl hero John Taylor, Sharks icon Patrick Marlowe, and the architect of the Giants dynasty, Brian Sabian. Be a part of this star-studded evening benefiting Special Olympics Northern California. To purchase tickets, visit Bayshoff.org. That's B-A-S-H-O-F.org. We have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. There's not many teams at the beginning of the year that can say that. We have a chance to, and, and it's got to be on us to make that happen. You're listening to the San Jose Sharks Morning Tide with Ted Ramey. This is our opportunity. Our time is, is now. Our window is now. 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 Maroon digs it away from Couture behind the Sharks net. Bortuzzo on the point. Bozak feeds it back. Edmondson lead pass. Bortuzzo broke in, and he scores! Robert Portuzo waltzed in from the right point, got the pass in front, went to the backhand, and beat Jones up top to provide another challenge for St. Louis, who take the 3-2 lead. Uh, yeah, no, we're, we're fine. We, we got a good group in here, and we're, we've been resilient all year, so um, this isn't you know going to deter us in any means. Well, good morning and welcome to Morning Tide, the official morning show podcast of the San Jose Sharks. I'm your host, Ted Ramey, and we are revisiting how it all went down last night. Game two at the tank, and for a third consecutive series, the San Jose Sharks were unable to take a 2-0 series lead. This one finishing up leveling the ledger in favor of the Blues at one game apiece after a 4-2 St. Louis win. And the Sharks, in my opinion, for a third consecutive series came out just a little bit cool to start off the first period and that put them in an early hole the Sharks had to chase a game and yes they were able to receive that benefit from Logan Couture to level things up in the second period Uh, but it was an instance of once again the San Jose Sharks just not being able to give that fervor that energy that overall rush right at the start of a game two that to me was the most important factor here in this one. And I know that a lot of people are going to listen to that and say, Ted, what about the officiating? I'm only going to address this briefly. I was not a fan of the officiating last night, and that's where I'm going to leave it. From my point of view, as it should be in all sports, if you put yourself at a disadvantage, if you go down by multiple goals early, if you go down by multiple buckets, multiple touchdowns, multiple runs, whatever sport it is, and you, however you want to denote these marks of scoring, if you go down by multiples early, you can't try and put everything on the officiating. I know that's letting the officiating off the hook, but that's still my take on it. Again, I just wasn't a fan of it, but to me, that was not the ultimate deciding factor here in the game. Overall, I thought the Blues played a better team game. I think they seemed more in sync. They had more of a plan. They were able to enact it. And the Sharks, they made some mistakes. They were turning the puck over again near or behind their blue line a couple of times. They just didn't play with their overall crispness that we've been able to see throughout the course of this series and it's unfortunate because I thought overall the Sharks put forth a very good effort especially after falling behind 2-0 and they weren't rewarded in multiple instances like Evander Kane 
That's a guy who has been making some very good plays, and I thought throughout the first two games of this series, I thought has been skating very well. As he has been through the, uh, these entire playoffs, he's been very effective on the forecheck, but simply hasn't been rewarded uh, by way of a goal as of late. That was an unfortunate instance. And even the Sharks, after falling behind one nothing, they had the better run of play for almost the last 15 minutes of the first period. Then you get into the second period. Things are looking good again for the San Jose Sharks, and they give up another goal. They find themselves at a 2-0 deficit despite being, in my opinion at that point, the better team on the ice. Now, as the game wore on, it seemed like St. Louis had a better idea of how they were going to handle San Jose and what they were going to do to put things in their favor. But in the Stanley Cup playoffs, it's got to be perfect. And we've seen the Sharks throughout these playoffs when they put forth those efforts where they are committed to defense, where they're not making the turnovers, where they're effective on the forecheck, where they're not making bad passes, where they're not making mental errors. Those are the games that have led to the hard-fought Sharks wins in situations like this, where they had that explosion from Logan Couture, or they were able to get some big-time stops from Martin Jones, or they were able to get certain electric performances. They had those things going for them tonight, but not enough to overwhelm some of those mistakes. So for the Sharks, they find themselves level at one game apiece. But it was it was there at points. It really was. And I think that one of the things you can look to out of tonight was just a Sharks power play that simply put was not clicking, was not firing on all cylinders. And for the Sharks, considering how effective their penalty kill has been as of late and how good they've been able to to act on that penalty kill, like tonight getting a shorty from Logan Couture, to have the other offensive side of special teams not have the power play working at critical moments and look overall anemic, that's going to put you behind the eight ball, and that's exactly what happened tonight. The Sharks were able to find those equalizing goals but never had enough in a game this tight to push themselves over the hump to take that lead. It kind of reminded me of Game 6 in Colorado, the previous series, where the Sharks were able to find these answers, were consistently able to get themselves back into the game, but ultimately never had the ultimate push to get themselves in the lead in this one. So, again, it's a seven-game series. You're level at one after the first two games. Not entirely shocking. You knew there was going to be a response from St. Louis. You just hoped that the Sharks were able going to be were going to be able to put the onus on St. Louis after having such a dominant performance in game number one. And it reminded me very much of what we saw in the first series versus Las Vegas. It was a dominant performance in game number one for the Sharks. They were not able to follow it up in game number two. And it's the emotional ebb and flow back and forth that we've seen in these Stanley Cup playoffs, no matter who it is. And, you know, if you want to compare it to what we're seeing uh, in the East with Boston and Carolina, I know people are talking about the dominance of Boston. I'm not going to be surprised in the slightest if that series shifts back to Carolina and you see Carolina able to get two in a row at home and then everything changes for the Sharks now they have got to be able to look at this and say we turned the puck over near or behind our own blue line we made some bad passes we made some mental mistakes what can we do to rectify these to make sure we don't do it again because the Sharks are good enough to go in and get not just one maybe even two in St. Louis I know that sounds like a tough challenge right now but the ultimate goal has got to be take back home ice, which means you split on the road and then you make it a best of three series for five, six, and seven, which the Sharks have been able to take advantage of in the previous two series. But for now, let's talk about Logan Couture and let's talk about what this guy has been able to do in the postseason. You know, we've seen the stats about him 
and how he trails only the electric Alex Ovechkin in terms of Stanley Cup scoring, and he showed us why again tonight. And Logan Couture and his ability to rise to the moment, to step up in these critical junctions. The Sharks were down two to nothing and suddenly trying to kill a penalty and you're thinking oh this game has the ability to get out of hand in a real hurry and Logan Couture as he has in multiple times where he put the onus on himself was able to get a response out of him and his line well he did it in the immediacy he didn't wait for the next game he didn't wait uh, for the next shift he went out there on the penalty kill and made something happen got the Sharks right back into the game and then of course he's able to get another goal suddenly you're level at two the game is trending in the direction of the Sharks. Unfortunately, they were not able to win that second period, which they were able to do in game seven and in game number one. That was where they fell short in this one. You give up that second, second period goal, and suddenly the work you had done, including the shorthanded goal, which really started the swing of momentum, really started to feel like it had been washed away because for all that effort, the two quick goals, you get yourself right back in the game, and suddenly the third period is over, and you're staring at a one-goal deficit. The Sharks were never able to recover from that. I thought that really St. Louis was committed to their defense, committed to team defense in the third period, and it showed. The Sharks were simply early on not able to get a whole lot of shots off, and they were not able to get a whole lot of quality looks. They did push forward a little bit later in the third by way of a penalty and going on the power play. But you see it when you look at the stats. Overall for the game, the Sharks were only able to get 26 shots off. And that, to me, is not indicative of a Sharks team that was clicking at full tilt and getting everything going in terms of generating opportunities. When the Sharks are on, they're going to have an excess of 30 shots and they're going to be making uh, Bennington make several difficult saves. And I didn't think any of the saves that he made tonight were particularly insane. He just didn't have to stare down that many dangerous opportunities. And that's a credit to St. Louis and the way they played the Sharks tonight. It's going to be the adjustments that the Sharks have to figure out how they're going to create more good looks, how they're going to create more looks, particularly on the power play, and how they're going to convert that into goals heading into game number three, especially when you go into a hostile environment in St. Louis in an atmosphere that's going to be rabid. It's the Midwest. We know how those fans are. The Sharks have their work cut out for them, but this is the fun of the playoffs. We have seen the Sharks in these past two series, respond when they were asked to. Now, different in terms of what happened in the series with Las Vegas versus what happened in the series versus Colorado, but the Sharks have never been lacking for resiliency. They have always been able to find an answer so far in this postseason, and this is where these continual challenges come, and this is where the continual questions are asked of these teams. Right now, the Sharks are going to be tasked with figuring out how to generate more offense in light of the adjustments that St. Louis made from game one to game number two, just as St. Louis was doing after they got dominated in game number one. The Sharks are now staring at the exact same situation, but this is this is why we watch. It's never over and cut and dry with, with what we see after one game or after two games or in this series after four games. It's going to change. It's going to evolve, and ultimately it's going to be a war, and it's going to entertain us from game one to how many ever it takes, and Right now, I'm thinking seven just because this is what we've seen from the previous two series, and I see a lot of similarities between the first two games of this series, the first two games against Colorado, and the first two teams against Las Vegas. These are two very, very good teams that have the players and the coaching staffs and the ability to make adjustments one game to the next. Now, in terms of the first series from Las Vegas' standpoint, they went behind 0-1, then they had a huge adjustment, and they were absolutely attacking the Sharks. The Sharks had a 
big swing adjustment in the opposite direction in terms of how they play defense. Plus, Martin Jones literally had a paradigm shift in terms of how his postseason was going at that point that was the big shift against Colorado it was back and forth one 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 nobody was winning two games in a row I don't know how this one's going to play out but I didn't expect it to be over in four and right now I'm just expecting it's going to go seven if it goes any less than that and it's in favor of the Sharks obviously I'll be happy but right now I'm once again after seeing the first two games of this series saying yep we're going seven. And we now have joining us on Morning Tide the one and only Dan Rusinowski, of course, the radio play by play voice of the San Jose Sharks. And Dan, once again, for a third consecutive series, the Sharks have not been able to take a 2 0 series lead. It's 1 1. Are you seeing anything in these game twos that's a continual theme from the first series to this one, or is it just the ebb and flow of the Stanley Cup playoffs? A little bit of both. I think that we're seeing some ebb and flow, Ted, but I think what we're also seeing is just an inconsistency in the energy at times for Mm -hmm. the Sharks. And I think that the key moments were the beginning of the game, maybe the first six, seven minutes. Then the Sharks took over after that. They were down one nothing. But then after they came back so valiantly and tied the game on uh, Logan Couture's play, taking the team on his back and carrying them, uh, then again they had a, uh, just a rough moment mentally, and that's when Bortuzzo got the game-winning goal. Those, to me, were the two blips in the time capsule tonight mm-hmm. uh, for the Sharks. Really unfortunate because in terms of momentum swings, the Sharks, and you guys were talking about it in the broadcast, um, you want to win the second period. That's it. what they were able to do in game number seven. That's what they were able to win, do in game number one. They get those two goals, and suddenly they're up two goals to one. And you come back, you're at a two-goal deficit. You get one shorty from Logan Mature, and then a second goal. You're tied at two. Momentum is completely swung in your favor, and then you give up that third goal and suddenly find yourself behind the eight ball once again. And it felt like the Sharks had built that momentum and had really had everything trending in their direction and then suddenly you're staring up at a goal deficit and you're thinking to yourself, what, what just happened? Well, let's look at the bigger picture here, Ted. I think what we saw in this game are some very encouraging signs for the whole series, simply because you're seeing some guys get their legs now mm-hmm. and they haven't had their legs for a while. I'm thinking like Evander Kane. He skated pretty hard tonight. Yeah. Had some rough moments, but still... I think that uh, he can work on that by looking at video and continuing to work. But I think physically he looks like he's, he's uh, looking pretty solid. Uh, you know, Mark Edward Vlasic, Brent Burns, Eric Carlson, they continue to have energy even though they're playing a lot of minutes. And I think that's another good sign for the future. But, again, it really doesn't matter, does it? I, the only thing I can say is that I, I'm enthralled with Logan Couture and the way he's playing in the playoffs right now, and I think every Sharks fan should be because uh, what we're seeing is, is seeing real leadership from, from this guy. The fact that he took the team on his back with the team down 2 nothing. The Sharks don't come back very often from 2 nothing deficits. No NHL team does no. in, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, certainly. And I, I just think that he gave the team a chance. The other thing I thought was, was pretty uh, favorable, too, was in the latter stages of the game when St. Louis showed why they're probably the best road team in the league right now in the playoffs, Martin Jones kept the team in too. He did. And I I thought that was a big part of the third period. I thought that it was deceiving to look at a 4-2 final in this one because I didn't think that Martin Jones was really on the hook for a lot of those goals. He got kind of left exposed, and I thought that he made a lot of big saves tonight. And I think that if you want to look at just big picture, I thought that Jones was tested much more severely than Bennington tonight and the Blues defense overall I think they had much more of a team mentality on defense compared to game number one 
Sharks only get 26 shots up. And to me, when the Sharks are limited to 26 shots, that means that the other team's defense is doing a very good job. And Bennington, he just he did not have to make anything particularly spectacular. He played a very good game. I don't want to take anything away from him, but he was not to vet, tested the same way that Martin Jones was. I thought he made a couple of really good saves late in the first period. One on Brent Burns uh, that's coming uh, to memory that went off his blocker board through a bunch of traffic. That was a really hard save. And uh, a couple of other ones during the game where, where he was really solid. But like you said, he, he saw more of the pucks. I thought that the, their defense did really a heck of a job. They played blues hockey for the first time in the series. Yeah, I mean, what do you think the adjustment was for the blues to allow them to play that much better from game number one to game number two? I don't know. The first thing is maybe they didn't try to run the Sharks out of the building. They realized they can't right. do that. So they didn't get distracted. They, they, they focused on playing a strong road game. And you know what? Uh, they lost the faceoff battle again. But I thought they won a few very key draws, and they had, you know, Hurdle won 21 face-offs last game. He won 11 this time, so he had half, a little less than he was kicked more out than half. Yeah, several times well, as well. The, I noticed that too, and, and we were talking about it during the game, especially early. Mm-hmm. He got thrown out a few times, and Kane had to take in and t- take a couple of draws. And I just wondered what the tactics were, but we noticed that they were working on face-offs in the morning skate. Really, uh, we noticed that they were. Uh, trying to hunker down with all of their center icemen. Steve Ott, who's the assistant coach of this team in St. Louis, was especially involved in that today. So it was on their minds, no doubt, and they got just enough done to make it happen. Again, we've got Dan Rusinowski here on Morning Tide, the official morning show podcast of the San Jose Sharks. All right, since we're broaching the subject of officiating, my take tonight was that there could have been more calls particularly um, in favor of the Sharks. But my other take, Dan, whenever I bring up officiating, and I'm not trying to bail out the officials because, I, A, I do think officiating is the toughest job in sports. I, I think it's, it's ridiculous, and they get you know, thrown under the bus by sports flapping heads like myself time and time again. But at the same time, I think that if you are the San Jose Sharks, you're probably thinking, you know what, let's not go down two goals next time. Maybe we won't have to be hearing everybody talk about the officiating. Is that too much of me just getting my hands clean of that one, or how, how do you react to it? You can't really look at the officiating and say that's why the Sharks lost the game. Sure, there were calls that you could argue uh, that should have been called against St. Louis, and then they maybe changed the consistency of the way they were calling uh, the, some of those penalties during the course of the game. Mm-hmm. But then again, take a look. Third period, Joe Thornton gets a tripping call. That was a penalty. Yeah. There's no doubt that was a penalty. Uh, there were a couple of others in the game, too. The Marcus Sorensen one, I'm not so sure about. but <laughs> and, and Dylan's, I thought, might have hit a stick or something, but they had a better view of it than I yeah. did from where I was calling the game from. So uh, the Sharks didn't convert on their two power play chances. They need to do that, and they need to make the Blues pay. Mm-hmm. They had a 19-year-old kid in the third period with 10 minutes to play take a penalty, and unfortunately, they didn't generate much of anything on that power play. That was really disappointing because this playoffs, they've done that. Of course, we remember one particular power play, which they scored four <laughs> goals, but that's the hockey gods working back uh, to even things up a little. It is interesting that you bring that up, though, Dan, because there has been there have been moments where the, the Sharks' power play has looked so good. There have been other moments where it hasn't been. Is there anything in particular you've seen, or is it just a matter of the 
percentages play their way out, but we look at it in a magnifying glass from one game to the next. It's the National Hockey League. They're a pretty good team over there in St. Louis, and in many respects, they're a mirror image of the way the Sharks like mm-hmm. to play. They like to roll four lines. Their fourth line gives them energy. I thought the Sharks' line was really, fourth line was really good yeah. tonight. And Melker Carlson may have been one of the better forwards for the team in the first period. Barkley Goodrow had some good moments and, in fact, um, had a good chance to score. So uh, it's just the way it goes. You, know, have to, you have to deal with this, and the part that you have to deal with the most is you don't let these disappointing losses get you too down mm-hmm. because there's going to be another game on Wednesday. It's going to be game three in St. Louis, and the Sharks have had success there over the years. So yeah. uh, you know that the city of St. Louis will be very excited. It's a great sports town. Yeah. yeah, they love the Cardinals this time of the year, and that's standard operating procedure. But Blues hockey is a big part of that community. So we can expect that uh, Blues fans will be out in force, not only inside the Enterprise Center, but probably over at Ballpark Village down the street, too. Mm-hmm. They did that for games one and two here as well. So uh, nothing we haven't been through before for the first two rounds for the Sharks, but uh, it's exciting, that's for sure. We've been going big picture and going topic to topic to topic, but I do want to flash back to Logan Couture for a second because he has just been so phenomenal in the postseason. And I know you pointed out 100 uh, postseason points now for him. And I believe that overall, I forget the exact year it is, maybe it's 2010, that he's second to only Alex Ovechkin in terms of overall uh, scoring. He's getting close to him now. He's got 47 goals since that time. I know, that's that's the incredible thing. And it's interesting, I mean, what do you see out of Logan Couture? Because we know that he is such a good player, you know, whatever game one, game 50, game 82, and then you get into the second season. What is it about the postseason that allows him to play his best game? And I don't mean to take anything away from his regular season, but he is a different player. He gets to another level when it's the playoffs. The way that I describe this, I kind of put him in the same category as Joe Pavelski. He's just a little bit younger. Logan's in the prime of his career. Joe Pavelski's in his mid-30s and had just an amazing season, but is a little bit further down the line in terms of the number of years he's played. So what I would say that the same, I would say the same characteristic about both of them is that they absolutely positively have a burning desire to win. They absolutely positively hate to lose and they'll do anything. And I mean anything to try to help their team be victorious. And that's the other thing. They're not as concerned. I mean, Logan probably doesn't care about the two goals tonight. No. He's probably happy about the way that he was able to help the team have a chance to win, but he's still very upset about the fact that the team lost and he wants to bounce back in game three. That's leadership, and he, he'll put his body in front. He'll block a shot. Mm-hmm. He'll, uh, he'll hobble off the ice, and then he'll be back out there for another shift. He'll lose a couple of teeth a couple of times <laughs> and, uh, and so forth and so on. But he has that all of those intangibles, and then he has the tangibles that go with it, uh, the ability to read the play, the intelligence on the ice, mm-hmm. the, uh, the skill when it comes to scoring goals. This is one of the best forwards in the league, and he's got leadership capabilities. He's always been a captain wherever he's been. I w- wouldn't surprise me that one day down the line he could easily be the captain of this team, and that's just a tribute to the way that he was raised, to the way that, uh, that he approaches professional sports and uh, to his again burning desire to win he's so scary on the breakaway sometimes I mean I it reminded me the one tonight and if you'll flash back I believe it was late February the night that Jumbo 
had his hat trick. I want to say that Logan also had a beautiful breakaway goal that night. And it just, it, it's funny because it's, it's not the first thing I think of when I think of Logan Couture's game, but sometimes his stick handling, his skating, it just all comes together in those individual moments. It's, it's beautiful to watch. Let's just talk about these two, two games in the series so far against St. Louis. Uh, first game, Timo Meyer, the big star of the show, but, but Logan also had two goals and one assist mm-hmm. in that game. I want to talk about the assist Logan had. Okay. Because he steps up, and I wasn't sure when it was happening. Colton Pareko's coming out of his own zone, and he tries to turn away from Logan. And I wasn't quite sure if Logan actually really touched the puck or if Pareko <laughs> lost it. And then Meyer swooped in, grabbed it, and then skated around Bowmeister and made that Peter Forsberg move to the <laughs> slot uh, to, to get the goal. But looking at it again, definitely Logan got it, and he made that happen because of his intelligence in the way he positioned his body and the timing in which he applied the stick check. And that, by the way, was an assist that put him past Patrick Marleau. It was his 53rd career assist, so he's second on the all-time Sharks list for assists in the playoffs, right behind, well, a little ways behind Joe Thornton. He's in the high 80s. So... um, (laughs) Logan is going to break all those records. He's going to be here for a long time. And, and I, I just want to go back to that because that was a play of intelligence, mm-hmm. intensity, and timing. Same thing on the shorthanded goal. Gets his stick out, and again, perfect timing to block Petrangelo, who's a really good player. Yeah. And then he takes off, and there's the determination, and then the finish on Bennington, who didn't have much of a chance it looked like the way it went in. So it, it really was something to see. There's a lot more of that in him. Uh, when the Sharks went to the Stanley Cup Final in 2016, 30 points. So this guy is is a big-time player. In terms of what you saw from that deep run in 2016 versus other deep runs you've seen this team make, what do you view this team as being maybe a little bit different or similarities? Well, similarities in the fact that some of the core players are the same people. But I'd say this team is better than all of those other teams, the one that they have in San Jose right now. I, I think that because of that uh, tripartite threat of Burns, Eric Carlson, and Vlasic on defense, with Justin Braun bringing up the wings, and he didn't have his best game in game number two here at SAP Center. He struggled a little bit, I yeah. thought. Joe Thornton also didn't have his best game. But they were maybe only two of the players that didn't have all the cylinders firing uh, at all times. But having said that, that group of three is so talented and so much better than anybody else at this stage of the game that that's what makes them better. The other thing is, I think Barkley Goodrow's done a good job of becoming a fourth-line center. He's worked hard on his face-offs. Milker Carlson and Marcus Sorensen can be relentless. LeBanc has turned into a good sniper. So I just mentioned a whole bunch of names that are around some of the real core players, aside from the defensemen, Mm -hmm. that are providing more depth for this team. And when you can... Have a guy like Michael Haley, who doesn't play a lot, uh, has a definitive role that is important. I mean, without, without Michael Haley, maybe they don't beat Vegas because right. of his physical play. Yet Jonas Donskoy, who had struggled in scoring goals, now has so much talent. When he's on that fourth line, that gives the Sharks more threat. So uh, that, to me, is, is something that they're going to need, and they're going to need in this series to get the win against St. Louis. And, of course, the Blues will try to counterpunch with what they've got. 
You brought up Vlasic there and also the other defenseman, but it was very impressive watching Vlasic tonight, who had a little bit of a stumbled a little bit out of the gates, didn't look entirely comfortable out there in the first period, but then had a number of moments throughout this game, and you guys talked about it on the broadcast, of him thinking, uh-oh, is he going to get back? He always gets back. It's amazing to watch the angles he takes, the way he reads plays, the way he sees things develop. He always knows how to position himself, and that's why he, I mean, he doesn't get the same acclaim because he doesn't score the goals like a Brent Burns and you know, isn't Eric Carlson, but his defensive game on display like it was tonight, there were a number of times where I thought he was the difference that kept the Sharks in the games as much as Martin Jones. But you know, he's a better offensive player than people give him credit for. And I think that's a goal game. (laughs) Right. Well, that's true. And he also, um, if I'm not mistaken, he's right behind um, Burns and Dan Boyle in terms of all-time scoring. Now, he's played a lot of games, Mm -hmm. but I, I still think that that's an underrated piece that he has that uh, you know, when he was in junior, he scored a lot more points offensively. But as an NHL player, he has become and has taken pride in being that guy that loves to be on the ice when McKinnon's on, when Tarasenko's <laughs> on the ice. Tarasenko was a little more effective tonight, got six shots on goal. But Vlasic was there to block shots, get in the way, took one for the team a couple times mm-hmm. and had to hobble off the ice. But uh, he's going to be there, and he's, he's a warrior. Here's the real question, Dan. Other than obviously doing a broadcast when you get into St. Louis, what else is on your St. Louis itinerary? Is there a restaurant? Is there a bar? What what does Dan Rusinowski do in St. Louis? Well, funny you should mention that. It's kind of funny. We've we've been going to St. Louis for a long time, and yet a lot of times in our visits to St. Louis, even through some playoffs, just the way the schedules work, we've been kind of close to home. You know, eat a lot of meals in the hotel, Mm -hmm. maybe get to practice, and then we had a lot of other things going, or we had a family event. So I've got a couple of favorite places I like to go to there. Um, You have to love Italian food in St. Louis. Uh, Yogi Berra and Joe Garagiola grew up on the hill. If you go up to the hill, my favorite restaurant is Dominic's. And I think it's a great restaurant. However, um, actually the St. Louis Blues winger Patrick Maroon, he's from St. Louis, married a St. Louis girl, Mm -hmm. and her family, as I'm told, are the owners or they're related to the owners of Charlie Gito's. So that's the other place up there on the hill that, uh, that most of the teams go to. I like Dominic's. I just think it's a, a, ra- a great uh, bit of Italian food. But the other place for fine dining is Tony's, which is a five-star restaurant. And it's, you know, all of the trimmings and, you know, you have to almost wear a tie to go there. <laughs> uh, they might even give you one if you show up. Uh, the food's excellent, but it's very expensive. We've, I've been there a couple times over the years. Uh, the Bowling Hall of Fame was always interesting to see. They've moved it, though, since it used to be right down the street. But when they built Ballpark Village and when they redid the Cardinal Stadium, they kind of moved all those things around. So I'm not exactly sure where that's re, re, uh, refound itself. And here's the other place that every Sharks fan should know about, and that's St. Louis Barbecue. Really good. And the best place that I like is a place called Pappy's. It's downtown. Uh, they only stay open until they run out of meat. Which is every day, by the way. They always run out. It's a fantastic policy. So, so they just stay open until they run out, and you got to get there early. I can only do it on an off day. Game day, can't do that kind of stuff. No. So those are a couple of the, the favorite little spots that I enjoy. And, of course, um, we're not there ever when, when I'm able to do this, but IndyCar is just over the border there for the, for the race at Gateway. And so it's always important and interesting to talk to the Bomberitos and everybody else about, about motorsports because, as you know, I have a little bit of a flair for that. But... Um, yeah, St. Louis is a, an underrated town. And, of course, right down the street from 
uh, from the ballpark as well, uh, which is right down the street from the Enterprise Center. Now, there's a little place called the Oyster Bar that everybody likes to go to. A lot of people sing songs there, and uh, it's just a nice little Does place. Does Dan Rosanowski sing a song? Uh, you're not going to have that happen. <laughs> you won't see that happen. You know, it's also, I uh, hear it's easy to get a Budweiser in St. Louis. Very easy, but very <laughs> difficult to get imported beer there. Very, uh, very hard. I've, I've heard the stories. Yeah. Well, Rosie, I know you got stuff to do, so I will let you go, man. But it's uh, very fun, and I am looking forward to uh, taking in game number three. And I want to repeat again, because for some reason this had not been ingrained in my brain. If you're in the arena and you don't want an 18-second delay, 1021 has the broadcast, which was a game changer for me tonight. I can't believe I did not know that previously. I don't know how I did not know that previously, Dan. I really have no clue. You know, it's an interesting concept uh, that that we have to kind of re-educate people on because of the age of smartphones, because people (laughs) assume that when they listen on a smartphone that it, uh, or any type of Apple iPhone or whatever, that you're getting a radio broadcast, but you're really not. You're getting a stream if yeah. you're using data. However, there is this program called Next Radio, which uh, supposedly uses the FM chip that's in every single phone really? where you get live radio. The problem is, is that not every, like Apple, for instance, does not allow that chip to get activated. So there is an FM radio chip in every single phone, whereas you would get the real-time coverage on 1021 in the building. However, um, people will come in with a regular – you have to have a regular radio. Even if you listen to a regular radio, if you put on 98.5, you can get it in the building, 98.5 Key Fox. But but we're about 8 or 10 seconds behind because of the digital delay. (laughs) So we got around that and we worked around it. I don't know how they do it in soccer or in baseball, but – uh, maybe they just don't, but uh, in hockey, at least, inside a building, we can do it in real time yeah. and give the fans an option, and that's a, that's a good promotion for Well, us. I know that my dad has said before that before the whole Justin Timberlake-Janet Jackson Super Bowl fiasco, there was never a delay on the um, broadcast for any sports. It was never something you had to worry about, right. so obviously things have changed. Well, and, and don't forget, too, now that TV is broadcasting in HD... Um, and uh, all sorts of different ways that they transmit now. The delays are all different. So if you, look, if you watch in standard def or in HD, it's different. <laughs> and if you go from one room to the other, it's different. So, you know, we have a whole method of syncing up our broadcast because, as you know, right now this time of the year, uh, the broadcasts on television are all national. So mm-hmm. this is the time of the year when we promote it a little bit of how you can actually do it. The irony is you have to use technology because um, – if you listen using the stream, using the smartphone, as I described, yeah. you're probably 90 seconds behind. Instead of being ahead, like if you listen on a regular radio, we're ahead of TV. <laughs> much, much, much more ahead. <laughs> so now we're behind using the phone, if anybody can keep following this. But then you use your DVR and you just pause the, t- the picture until it syncs up. That's yeah. the easy way to do it. Yeah, and, and people are doing it, which we appreciate. You no, know, no, I always, I, I go to kfox.com and I do the little pause and I sync it up. And the easiest way to do it is on a face out. That's, to me, the easiest way to do it. Right. Because you might not always catch the start of the game. And or you might hear a whistle. Or, you, you know, yeah. you, you start of a period for sure. And you got to adjust it a little bit, but it works pretty well. I, I do it all the time with the other teams. And I also know that you've tweeted it out several times, the instructions. So if you're listening, uh, look for Dan on Twitter, and it has the complete instructions on how you can do this syncing process. But I will say, uh, Kenny Albert, who is on the national call, I remember in 2016 he gave you a specific call out on the TV broadcast because he was so happy you were going to broadcast your first Stanley Cup game. Yeah, Kenny and I are good friends. We've known each other for probably 25, 30 years. I was uh, in the American Hockey League when he got his first AHL job. He was in Baltimore for a couple of years and paid his dues like all of us have to before 
uh, getting an opportunity, and I give him a lot of credit for that. And he ended up uh, doing great things, taking over for his dad in New York and, and having a great career. Awesome. Well, Dan, thank you so much as always, and uh, we'll talk soon, all right? You bet. Thanks, Ted. All right, let's get into some of this post-game sound, starting with Jumbo talking about the man of the night for the San Jose Sharks, Logan Couture. Oh, he's been a complete stud. You know, he's been carrying this team for a long time now, and, you know, I think, uh, you know, a lot of us have to hop on board and, um, you know, start doing our share now, too. And on the idea of Couture raising his game for the playoffs. He's just competitive. You know, he's ultra-competitive, and he just, you know, he's a goal scorer by nature, and he just... uh, He doesn't need much to score a goal, but just, you know, very, very, very competitive guy. And here's Logan himself weighing in on his own performance. No, no, just trying to play hard. I mean, you know, you count it on in the playoffs. There's a lot of guys in this room that are counting on the score goals, and that's our job, and we've got to go out there and score, score goals, and I'm one of those guys. Now, as we've talked about frequently on this show, when Logan speaks, the team listens. Logan called out the team after this one, saying that the team has not played their best hockey since the Las Vegas series. Here's Couture. I mean, it's kind of like last series, play play a, a decently good game and then play, in my opinion, that, that wasn't anywhere near what we're capable of. And I don't think we've, we've played to our up to our capabilities in, in a while now. We, we did just enough to beat the Avalanche, but... I mean, we haven't played our best hockey since that Vegas series, and it's discouraging. It's frustrating because we need we, we, we're going to need everyone here if we want to want to beat these guys because they're a very good hockey team. But when this point was brought up to head coach Pete DeBoer, he was not about to validate it. No, I, I don't agree with that. I mean, you know, we we played a very good Colorado team that took apart Calgary. You know, so I, I think uh, I don't agree with that. But he did agree that Logan Couture has been playing out of his mind. Well, he, he's bringing it every night, you know. He's one guy that uh, is, is, you know, he's, he's willing us. You know, he willed us back in that game tonight. You know, we just needed more guys to, to jump on, on with what he was doing. And then there's the fact that for a third consecutive series after taking a 1-0 series lead, the Sharks have fallen in game number two. Here's Logan Couture giving his two cents. I don't know. We just didn't play well. We haven't played well in any, any of the game twos. Um, we had a stretch in that Vegas game two. We were, able, we were able to come back down three. Same thing tonight. A couple minutes stretch and that's it. So, you know, forget about it now. There's nothing we can do to change it. Got to go uh, try and win a game in St. Louis. And head coach Pete DeBoer was asked about this as well. Uh, no, all different games. You know, I, we talked enough about it. I think our, our heads were in the right place. You have to give them some credit. I thought they played a hell of a game. You know, they got, they got uh, uh, I thought they had good legs. They defended hard. They made it tough on us. And, and we didn't work through that enough to create offense. Um, if you're not going to work for offense this time of year, you're not going to get any. And, of course, the Sharks did have to work much harder in Game 2 for offense than they did in Game Number 1. Here's Logan Couture on what changed. The difference? Well, they scored more goals than us. They took advantage of sloppy plays by us, turnovers, that which led to extended shifts in our end. Um, and then they, they cycled and they wore us down. Um, so, yeah, they, they, they were harder in a lot of areas than, than we were. But despite the fact that the Blues fought back in game number two to level the series at one game apiece, Pete DeBoer does not sound too worried. Yeah, you know, that's the one thing I take comfort in is uh, is our character and our ability to bounce back, our ability to recognize, you know, what we've got to fix. Uh, we've done that the entire playoffs. So, 
hey, this isn't going to be easy. It's not supposed to be easy. You're down in the last four teams. So we, we knew, uh, you know, you, you look at them and their record over the last, you know, three, four months since January, and they're the best team in hockey. So, you know, we're filling each other out here through two games. We've got to go into St. Louis and, and win a game and get back to home ice. So I weighed heavily on the differences in post-game commentary between Logan Couture and Pete DeBoer because Logan Couture, as the guy on the ice, he's there to try and get his team to respond, to try and spark some of that just overall energy to get the guys to realize that, hey, their teammate who went out there and scored the goals that kept the Sharks in the game tonight is calling everybody out on their performance. And that's fine. That's Logan Couture's leadership right to do so. However, on the other side, you have Pete DeBoer, who's playing it calm, who's playing it cool, who's playing it collected, and coaching up his team. He's going to remain unfazed by all of this, and he's going to be the point of strength as he coaches up his team heading into game number three. And that's where the Sharks once again need to respond on the road in game number three and take back home ice. If the Sharks split the road games of three and four in St. Louis, then everything trends back in their favor. They've done it before. They can do it again. It's just a matter of which Sharks team is going to show up. Is it going to be the one that's committed to defense and does not turn the puck over near their own blue line or behind the blue line? That's the real question to me. When they play that clean hockey, they win on the road. When they don't, they lose on the road. So this is what we get to find out in game number three. All right, that wraps it up for the latest edition of Morning Tide, which again drops the morning after each San Jose Sharks playoff game. A big thanks to Dan Rusinowski for spending some time with me after tonight's game. I'll talk to you all again after game number three. For the San Jose Sharks, this is Ted Ramey signing off. Thank you for listening to the San Jose Sharks Morning Tide with Ted Ramey. Music composed by Yogi Yen. New episodes appear each morning after Sharks playoff games on the Sharks Sharks digital digital platform. platform.